Storm Bowling Products, the bowler's company, presents the Collegiate Spotlight with Coach K. Storm's technical director, Steve Klimkin, also known as Coach K, and Above180.com's Tim Berg are going to introduce you to a variety of collegiate players, coaches, and key people involved in promoting the sport of bowling. Now here's Coach K and Tim Berg. Joining us this week is former Wichita State Shocker Mike Jasnow. Mike is a USBC Silver Certified Coach. Can check Mike out on Facebook and also make sure you stop out at the National Bowling Stadium where Mike has a lane 81 set up and does all sorts of lessons from young and old. But make sure you check Mike out. Mike, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Tim. Great to be with you guys again. Well, Mike, we thought it'd be great to bring you on myself, Coach K, doing this podcast sponsored the Storm Collegiate Spotlight. And what we're trying to do is highlight collegiate bowling and collegiate players, coaches, everyone involved in the sport. So my first question for you is going to be, you've been coaching for a number of years. How is coaching collegiate players and, and PBA players and players of all ages, how has it changed throughout the years? Well, I think a lot of the changes are, re- are really good changes. Uh, I think the biggest change is these days, most coaching, and in my opinion, all coaching, should be using video. Uh, you can always see way more than you can feel, especially the more intricate the motion. So without video, it's a lot more difficult. And I think, um, you know, with, with the use of video and especially like new systems like the CAT system that can track what the ball does on the lane, technology has, has advanced, and that in itself has, has helped advance coaching. Yeah, that's uh, – and, and you've been using video in CATS, I think, ever since uh, when we first met there at the National, uh, National Bowling right. Stadium. How long, have you, how long have you been there, Mike? And, uh, and maybe, you know, how many lessons, how often – uh, do you give lessons there in Reno? Well, I'm usually in Reno during the bigger tournaments. I actually don't live in Reno. I live in Utah now. But I'm out in Reno at the stadium about six to seven months out of the year. Um, I've been teaching at the stadium for 15 years now. And I would say in that time frame, I've been coaching a little over 20 years. So I, if I haven't done over 10,000 video analysis lessons already, I'm pretty darn close. And, Mike, when you have that bowler come out to get their initial lesson with you, and let's let's put it in the perspective: it's a high schooler or someone who's a little bit younger. Can you look at them at their physical game and say, "Wow, this this gal or, or guy has really a chance and really has great potential if they put their mind to it"? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I've seen. I think I've seen about everything in bowling as far as mechanics at this point, um, especially with younger people when they're smoother in their motion and. Uh, you know, it's just more consistent in what they do. They have a better potential to be at a higher level sooner. Now, how hard is it to, you know, let's say somebody has been, you, know, you mentioned the younger players, and it's maybe a, a little bit easier to make those changes versus somebody who's been a, you know, a, 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 I'd say a decent bowler, so maybe not the highest level, but somebody who's been a, a you know, like a scratch league type of a player, somebody who averages 200 but maybe they've been bowling already for 20, 25 years. How hard is it to make changes for those types of players? It kind of depends on the person, and I I think it definitely depends on the process on how you go about it. I think especially Mm -hmm. when there's a habit more ingrained, uh, Mm -hmm. video is a necessity because at that point, when you make a small change, it feels like a huge change, and what you feel is often not what you're actually doing. And that is funny, too, because a lot of players do, you know, they come running down to you and say, hey, look, watch my game. I've been working. You know, I've changed this. You're not going to believe what I look like. Right. 
And then, you know, you as a coach, and, and when I have done some lessons myself, you know, you may watch and say, wow, you can't even, you know, you can't even barely see a difference with the naked eye. Correct. Exactly. So that's why video is important. Um, you know, sometimes the muscles can fool you because they don't really want to feel something different. So even if it's a change for the better, your body can kind of fool you and say, oh, that's worse because it's different. But, I, you know, I've seen changes just this year during nationals. I had a woman in her low 70s who'd been bowling 40 years with a three-step approach. You know, average of 150, 160 all her life. Mm-hmm. But said that she hurts now and maybe not be able to bowl anymore. Within the hour, she had a four-step approach. Couldn't believe how much less effort it was. And I got an email from her a month later in her league. She, she was averaging 15 pins higher. And that's a woman in her wow. 70s that had been doing something for 40 years. Wow. So a change is possible for everybody, in my opinion. Mm. Hey, Mike, can a bad coach do more harm than good? Absolutely. <laughs> that's kind of like saying, could a bad doctor do more harm than good than a good doctor? Absolutely. Um, In my opinion, a bad coach can make people feel like something is not possible and that they're not accomplished enough to make a change. And uh, I think sometimes a bad coach will focus on a problem, not not exactly what's causing the problem, but trying to fix a result without correcting the root cause of it. And that can make more issues and make the bowler feel worse because they can't do something. I've got a question for you, Mike. We've, uh, you know, we've been watching pretty closely a lot of the uh, competition down there in Vegas at the World Series of Bowling. And uh-huh. as you know, you know, the leader right now, the you know, for Bowler of the Year is Jason Belmonte. And um, I, I got to ask you, you know, as far as two-handed bowling, what's your perspective on it? Being a coach, is that something that you promote or you advocate, or do you think it's just a fad that's going to go away? You know, I don't think it's a fad. It's kind of like if you remember back to when people started bowling without their thumb in the ball. Everybody thought, oh, this is going to change bowling. Everybody's going to start doing this. Obviously, that wasn't the case. Some people still do it. Most people don't. I think the two-handed style will be in the same category. Um, I don't think it's a wrong way to bowl at all. I think it's a more difficult thing to do if you're not used to doing it. If you start bowling two-handed at a younger age, I definitely think that's easier. I've worked with several two-handers, some that started young, some that didn't start young. And the ones that start older to try the two-handed, you can kind of tell that it's going to take them a little bit longer. I think it's there's a lot more mechanics going on in the actual motion. I think it's a more physical motion. So, you know, I think it's here to stay. Who knows what long-term effects will be, because I do think it's more wear and tear on the body. I'm going to ask you one more quick question, too, uh, regarding two-handed bowling. Do you think it should be outlawed or illegal? There's a lot of people that do say that maybe this this type of bowling um, goes against the intent of of our sport, uh, technique-wise. you know, I kind of see that both ways because if you're a purist, you don't want to see something change. That being said, you know, maybe this will advance the game to another level. You know, so I'd be kind of disappointed if we just said, hey, that's not our normal. Let's, we can't allow that. And we missed out on something that could, you know, take us somewhere we haven't been before. Hmm. Um, you know, I think you can definitely develop a lot of power. I think the one downside of two-handed... And for most people, that's, that change to two-hand is difficult to generate ball speed to accommodate rev rate. Mm. But um, 
personally, I wouldn't ban it. I think it's kind of cool to watch. I'm I, I'm bad at it, so I, I think it's pretty awesome to watch. I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm with you there. <laughs> Well, and the, the two-handed bowling, you know, the one thing that in the videos that I've watched in the slow motion, though, Mike, and, and using the cat system, I know we went through this when I was just back in Reno, is you watch them, uh, watching Belmo, for example, and he's, his body is still in the, the, the same position I am at the line. He just gets there a different way. Completely different way. You're right. Exactly. But I'll tell you, Belmonte is a great example. You know, even three years ago, he was one of the best bowlers in the world. But look what he's done to his game as far as, Tim, what you pointed out, his finishing position now is way more consistent and better than it used to be. And I think he's a, a much better bowler for that, which shows you that even the top-level bowlers are always working on such a trying to get better, trying to get better and more consistent with their motion. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. We were actually in doing a, a clinic uh, over in Japan called the Storm Fair. Uh, this was just over a year ago or so, and, uh, and I actually um, had the pleasure of traveling with Belmo and, and he was actually telling me about that and, and how he because his trail leg used to really go up way high in the air and he was specifically focusing on keeping that down and trying to keep his weight back a little bit and said that right. he had uh, you know he had recently seen a lot of tremendous results by doing so and, and, and we know what kind of a year he's had um, for 20, exactly. 2013 you know right so. and I to bring up another bowler on tour a one-handed bowler another power guy that I think is done the same good work that Jason has done on his finish in the last couple of years is Sean Rash. And mm. he has performed much better than he ever has the last couple of seasons because of it. In all the lessons you've done there, Mike, can you talk about uh, just briefly your most memorable lesson and then maybe your most forgettable lesson that you've had with, with a, a bowler out there? Well, a couple of lessons come to mind, but I can't say talk about them on this radio show. So, <laughs> <laughs> But... Um, you know, forgettable ones, I don't have a lot of really bad lessons, and I'm, I feel very fortunate to say that. Uh, most memorable ones, there's a couple that, that really come to mind on completely different ends of the spectrum. One was this, this girl bowling her first, her first tournament ever was Women's Nationals, and she was bowling with her mom and her grandmother, so it was three generations on one team. And the mother bought her a lesson before the tournament, and the girl came in, she was petrified. First, it was her first tournament was at the stadium. And she was so self-conscious, she said, I don't have an approach. And I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, I just stand at the foul line. I don't have any steps. I just stand at the foul line and swing the ball and throw it. And I have to bowl this tournament with all these good bowlers. Within the hour, she had a four-step approach. She came in with a 59 average, and she had four games in the tournament over 100. With a, a four-step approach that she learned in an hour. <laughs> wow. so that's one of my most memorable ones as far as on that. And the other memorable one was Walter Ray Williams. And, you know, we're friends because I bowled on tour. Obviously, he's been on tour a long time, and I was out there for a short time. So we're friends. And when the tour was at the stadium, he, he always comes in and say hi. And he came walking up and said hello to me, and we're talking. He goes, hey, do you have any appointments available this afternoon? I said, yeah, who wants to come in? And he goes, I do. <laughs> that was one of the first lessons in a long time I was actually nervous something holy crap I gotta walk with work with Walter Ray here and he hadn't been bowling great he was the defending champions of the masters so he was seated into match play bowled the qualifying to pace he would not have made the cut he didn't bowl well he came in for less and then he had to go out and bowl the tournament leader in match play and I was busy so I didn't get to see his match so I was, the whole next lesson I was nervous like oh my god I hope he bowls well 
And luckily, he went out and bowled the tournament leader, which happened to be Bill O'Neill, and Walter Ray beat him in that first match. So it all worked out good. Hey, Mike, I got a question for you. What's the uh, what's the best tip that you've either you know heard yourself from a, maybe a mentor of yours or a, a touring player, or maybe what you feel the best tip is that you've uh, seen success with giving uh, giving to some of your students over the years? Oh man, that's a good question. It kind of really depends on what you're referring to, but I do remember as far as ball reaction, and, and you know how people complain about what happens on the lane. I remember back on tour when Harry Golden was the tournament director. He would come in occasionally to the squad room, and you know sometimes something different would happen with the lane condition. Sometimes back in the day, it might not have been an accident. I hate to say, but I think these days, you know, with temperature, humidity, and all the factors in developing a lane condition and keeping it consistent, stuff happens from time to time. So when something he knew the lanes were going to be different, his phrase was. Let your ball be your guide. In other uh, words, if the ball doesn't do what you think it is, don't be stupid. Read your ball reaction and make the adjustments. <laughs> so, and I, I got to, I got to echo that too, just to give some quick props to uh, Jim Jarazak, um, who used to work uh, down there at USBC in the equipment specs um, department. Has since passed, unfortunately, but um, but he had said that as well. And I don't know that he got it from Harry Golden because I don't think they ever. They ever met, but as far as uh, uh-huh. oil patterns go, some some people uh, his advice was the exact same thing because people would get so frantic about what the graph or the chart Correct. says about the lane condition and how they would have to play them. And he would say, you know what, you can you can win a tournament without seeing the graph. Throw some shots, let your ball be your guide, and tell you what to do and what adjustments to make. So that's funny you mentioned that. Cool. Exactly. I remember on tour when they started posting the graph of the paddock. And we looked at it like, oh, we got to play there. Then we went out and tried it. Like, huh, that doesn't work. And <laughs> some guys just said, but that's where I'm supposed to play. I'm, I'm staying there. It's got to work. Well, obviously, they didn't have that great of a week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing, you know, with adjustments, you have to trust and see or trust what you see and feel mm-hmm. and believe it. Yeah. So, Mike, my, my one of my final questions I have for you is do, do all bowlers – in your opinion, have the ability to improve their physical game and become a good bowler, whether it's, you know, for example, they come out by you and they take a lesson, they go back and then take the, the points you ask them to work on and work on those. Can, can everyone improve their game, or do you feel that kind of sometimes people hit their ceiling, you know, like, like uh, a bowling ceiling, so to speak? Uh, I think everybody can improve. I mean, just like the example we brought up, Jason Belmonte, absolutely one of the best bowlers in the world many years ago. He, he improved his game within the last couple of years. Um, I think everybody can improve. Uh, you know, obviously, the little limit would be averaging 300. Do I think anybody's going to do that? Probably not. But I think everybody can improve, whether it be improve their score or become or develop a more efficient motion so you don't hurt when you bowl, uh, be a better spare shooter, uh, have your bad shots be less bad so your bad shots are leave you something makeable. I think there's always room for improvement at all levels, actually. Yeah, that's a good point. And a lot of players, you know, they do maybe have a favorite type of a lane condition, you know, that they bowl well on, whether it's a shorter pattern or a longer pattern. Right. Um, but even the great bowlers struggle at certain times. And, and there's, right. uh, there's, there's always something, I, I think that's what I've, I've kind of noticed uh, the same type of thing that, that, you know, great players will recognize that they do have weaknesses that they can improve on, 
and um, kind of recognizing those weaknesses and always willing to kind of strive for constant improvement is only going to going to help make even like just like Jason Belmonte, like you mentioned, how many pins was he leading the U.S. Open at one point, which was the collection of the best bowlers in the world. He was leading yeah. by 400 plus pins over the field over second, which is unheard of. Unheard of. And it's not only the physical can get, can get better, but maybe more importantly, the mental part of the game can get better. So there's always mm-hmm. work to be done. Point. Yeah, good point. Yeah, we were talking last week with Marshall Kent, and he said that was one of the parts of the game that he was focusing on, his mental game. So my question, uh, I guess another question I have for you is, regarding a high school player, a collegiate player, what, what advice do you have for them, Mike? Stick with it. Um, I think have an open mind. Uh, especially more accomplished players may work with different coaches, which is absolutely fine, in my opinion. Work with whoever you want to work with. You listen to everything. You try whatever they tell you, within reason, obviously. And then you keep what works for you. Everybody's a little bit different. But I think you have to stay focused on what's important and let the rest of the stuff fall around the wayside. Easier said than done. And definitely, like Marshall Kennedy mentioned, uh, you know, he had been reading a, a book on the inner game of tennis. Um, I think right. that was yeah. uh, one of his one of his books, and uh, and I know there's a lot uh, a lot to be uh, learned and understood um, about the mind, you know, and our right, you know, how we behave and act in in competition, and and what you know, we did a seminar several years ago, and the difference between Walter at the time, and this was back in I want to say 2005, Walter Ray was leading uh, the PBA Tour on average, and uh, Randy Peterson was 73rd, and the difference in average was 11 pins, huh. you know, yep. and that's literally Little just one hit. Differences. Yep. one exactly. hit a game, you know, and that's what, yep. it, you know, it's those real small things and, you know, the attitude and determination and, you know, right. ability to control your emotions, boy, you're right. That's uh, that's a big, correct. That's a big important point, part of our, uh, part of our sport. So yeah, you brought that up. And I've been lucky. I've been very lucky enough to work with Marshall Ken twice at great game, great guy. Um, and I, uh, well, I'll tell you what I like about him, and I do think he's going to be around our sport for a long time at a very high level, is he's very competitive. And you think about anybody at the top of any sport, they're very, very competitive, which is a good thing. Sometimes mm-hmm. that can come off as, oh, he's being a jerk or he's, he's being cocky. You know, you kind of have to be somewhat that way to be at the top of anything. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I have a lot of respect for him. But on the other side of that, a lot of people out of that competitive can beat themselves up over things that they shouldn't be beating themselves up over. So there's a fine line between being competitive within yourself and beating yourself up when you don't do well. Yeah, right. and a good example would be, like you said, Marshall. He was very humble on the on our interview uh, last week on our podcast and just right. an incredibly nice guy. But you're right, on the lanes, determination. And, you know, reminds me a lot of uh, somebody else that's like that is Pete Weber. I mean, Correct. people that see Pete on TV and they only see him on TV – a lot of times that's what they think, and the people that know Pete off the lanes know that he's one of the nicest guys you ever talked to. Very friendly. Exactly. And, Tim, somebody from your area now, Marshall Holman, on the lanes, some people didn't have the best opinion of him, but I can tell you from personal experience, one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Agreed and still And a, a fierce competitor, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> A fierce competitor indeed, Mike. I want to thank you again for joining us, taking some time out of your very busy schedule. Again, if you're out in Reno, stop by the National Bowling Stadium, set up a lesson with Mike. And uh, Mike, I want to thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Tim. I appreciate you having me on the show again. And thank you, Steve, for all you do. And I do want to say that you know I bowled collegially for Wichita State. 
Um, had to throw that in there <laughs> for all the other soccer's out there. But I've done lots of things in bowling. I can, without a doubt, say collegiate bowling is by far the best thing I've ever done in bowling. So all you collegiate bowlers out there, hope that you're enjoying that experience and you know stick with it, be competitive, and compete hard, and you know see where you, where it takes you. I mean, look at the people in the bowling industry today, and look at the number of them that have come out of collegiate programs. So. There's a lot for collegiate bowling and bowling in itself. Yeah, good point. Thanks, Mike. I sure appreciate your time. All right. Thank you, guys.